Hello world. This is Chris Abalo's podcast experiment and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to episode 11. <laughs> I'm not going to redo that. It's kind of funny that I couldn't remember what episode it was. But yes, episode 11 of Cape. Welcome to the show or welcome back to the show. Actually, for those of you who uh, hopefully you've been listening this whole time, if you haven't, well, you have some catching up to do, don't you? Now, admittedly, for those of you who are sticklers for accuracy, this show will be a bit of a cheat because I'm actually recording this on Friday, August 23rd, even though the posting date will show as August 19th because, well, a couple of reasons. Overall, I'm waiting because I wanted to talk about The World's End, which I saw yesterday, which opens in theaters today. Once again, August 23rd, 2013. But uh, aside from that, I did want to leave a little bit of room to uh, talk about this or if I ended up having somebody to chat with on this episode of the show. I wanted to give it a few days or so where I can maybe set something up. Uh, It didn't happen, but I still want to talk about The World's End and another piece of news that actually came about yesterday, which I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about, but uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. And before I even talk about the world's end, oh, yeah, so the changing of the date thing, actually, that's just because when you look in history or when you look down the podcast library you have on your computer or your mobile device or whatever it is, uh, it just looks good that the dates are actually every two weeks or so. So that way this show looks good. In uh, History will <laughs> reflect that the show was posted every two weeks, even though, admittedly, I'm cheating this particular week. But because I, I knew I had something to talk about if I waited so I figured it was worth waiting for. No point in saying, I'm doing this Friday and you guys will hear about it in two weeks, or on Thursday, rather. So here it is. Um, but before we get to the world's end and uh, what went on with that, I have a few things I just want to mention. First of all, I realized something this way. I'm, I'm sure I've been doing it consciously all along, but it's something I want to throw out there because I don't know if anybody else has noticed if they do it. But it's certainly something I've consciously done, but just kind of stepped back and uh, realized This is probably more for the men, but does anyone out there put their bills in a certain ascending or descending order, or do you just put them randomly in your wallet or ladies in your purse, wherever you keep cash in those never-ending handbags of yours? But uh, guys, here's one maybe a little bit more for the men. Do you keep your bills in a certain order? I've noticed that I keep mine in ascending order. I will have singles, then fives, tens, twenties, and that's usually as high as it goes. But on a rare occasion, you get the idea. You know where it goes. And uh, I guess if I wanted to walk around feeling really rich, I would put a 20 in front of all the singles. In other words, uh, when I open the wallet, the small bills would be closest to me. And uh, I've always done that. I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've done that. And I just kind of noticed the other day thinking, hmm, I wonder if anybody else does this. Or I wonder if people have some sort of order that they put. I would think so. I can't imagine you just randomly putting bills in your wallet and be completely unaware of about how much cash you have on you. But I was sorting some change into my wallet the other day, and I realized, oh, yeah, I've been putting it in this order for years. I wonder if anybody else does, or anybody has their own way. You may go in the opposite direction. You may be smarter than me and walk around feeling richer than I do, because you may put 20s, 10s, 5s, and singles in the back. I mean, I guess if I really want to feel good, I can put like two 20s and a bunch of singles behind it. So I see the 20s up front, and then there's a wad of cash, and just think, yeah, I'm loaded. This is great. So uh, I'm just throwing that out there. Please feel free to comment or or tweet the show at Kate Pod, by the way, and uh, let me know what your process is. If anyone even carries cash anymore, everything's gone the way of the debit card. So I don't know if anyone bothers with cash, but around here, especially with uh, parking 
out in Los Angeles and uh, all that other good stuff, you pretty much need to have some kind of cash on you just in case. Um, which is weird, actually, because some parking garages don't take cash at all. They'll just take cards, credit cards or debit cards. Uh, I've actually been caught once or twice in that situation where I had cash on me. I may not have had available cash on a credit card or debit card or what have you, and I was just planning on paying cash, and I've been stuck <laughs> in some situations. Uh, I think that's a little bit weird because you figure they might expect – I mean, if somebody's in the booth when you're leaving, you would think maybe they'd have a till or something – Again, I know that debit cards and credit cards are certainly common, but uh, you would think where there's a, such a, a broad <laughs> spectrum of people in various economic situations in a city, you would think they might want to allow people to pay cash, especially during daytime hours or maybe at night if it's a, a nighttime destination. But yeah, it's a few times I've been caught with just like, oh, you only take cards, you don't take cash. Uh, well, damn. Now what am I going to do? And uh, something else while we're speaking about cars, actually, because this is this has bothered me lately, because when I was out the other day, for instance, when I went to see the world's end, which will be the next thing I'm getting to. So sit tight. I don't understand why it is people. I, I know several people who have Bluetooth capability in their car and on occasion will answer calls. If I'm, let's say, a passenger in their car and they get a call from somebody, they may have a quick conversation that's maybe a minute or, you know, just an, an information exchange. And then that'll be it. And I understand maybe taking some longer calls in the car. I have a few friends who call me sometimes on their, oh, man, that was Jersey, wasn't it? Call me. I heard that. Oh, man. Pops out sometimes. I'm telling you, I can't completely shake it, can I? But there's some friends who will call me on their drive home from work or something just because it's going to take a while. A few of them have a commute. So they'll call to kind of catch up with me once in a while while they're just driving home because it's... Yes, it's not good to talk and drive and all that other nonsense, but number one, they're hands-free, and number two, it's their drive home from work, so it's kind of routine after a while. You can do it kind of semi-mindlessly. How about that? So I get that part of it. I really do. But when people take calls through their Bluetooth, where the other person's voice is coming through their car stereo, and drive around with the windows open, what the hell is that? I've passed a bunch of or driven alongside people who are doing that or have been stopped at lights where the person in the car is doing Close the windows. I don't want to hear your conversation. I don't think anybody else wants to hear your conversation. And by the way, the person on the other end of the phone, I don't think they want what they're saying blasted all around the city either. So please, if you're listening and you do that, stop doing it. It's annoying. Nobody else wants to hear your conversation. It's an A&B conversation. So keep it to yourselves. So yesterday, August 22nd, I went to see The World's End. Well, actually, I went to one of many triple features being shown, also known as the uh, Cornetto Trilogy, uh, which was shown at uh, a lot of theaters across the country. But the one I went to was actually at the Arclight in Hollywood because there was to be a Q&A with director Edgar Wright and stars Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Now, actually... Six and a half years ago, back in uh, early 2007, when Hot Fuzz came out, I actually went to the same theater, not in the same room where I saw the Cornetto trilogy, but I went to that same theater to see Hot Fuzz, which uh, when I bought the tickets, it was just for a Q&A with director Edgar Wright after the movie. And I thought, oh man, that's going to be really cool. Turns out all three of them were going to be there for that as well. And that was actually kind of cool because... Before the movie itself started, out walks Jack Black, and he presents 
Quentin Tarantino, who then presents Edgar Wright. And or was it all three of them? I don't exactly remember. But uh, regardless, it was kind of two people who showed up who you didn't expect to see at all. And uh, it was pretty cool. And then watched the movie and then the three guys did a Q&A afterwards. And it was a lot of fun. So it was cool to come back to the same theater and see another Q&A with them for uh, the next movie that they did together. And uh, interestingly enough, actually, Quentin Tarantino was in the front row for the... Well, he definitely was there for The World's End. I don't know if he was there for uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, which obviously preceded The World's End. It's still cool to see somebody who probably the night before when they had the world premiere, which I actually had at the same theater, he was probably there for that. And he may very well have seen the movie ahead of time anyway if he's friends with these guys. Yet, he's obviously such a fan that he still showed up and sat in the front row, even if he got in for free. It's still really cool that the guy is just such a fan of the movie and good friends with those guys, that he came out at all. So I have to say, that was actually really, really cool of him. It was cool to see him there just as a fan. He didn't get up and speak or anything like that. He was there just to enjoy the movie and the Q&A. So uh, you have to hand it to him. That was really, really cool. But uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz get better every time I see them. I love those movies. And uh, I might give Shaun of the Dead a little bit of an edge over Hot Fuzz, only because I have loved it longer. It's a really, really tough call for me. Um, now, in the case with The World's End, let me just say, I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but I have to tell you, I loved the movie. It didn't have as many laugh-out-loud moments for me as the first two do, but as I said, I do like those movies more and more every time I see them, and I find more things funny than I did even the last time I saw the movie. I'm always picking up on little things, because those guys are brilliant at putting in little items where over the course of multiple viewings you start noticing. So uh, The World's End, I'm sure, has tons of those. And once I get the Blu-ray of the movie, I'm sure there will be a lot of stuff I pick up on and things I find even funnier the second time. So I'm not putting it down at all whatsoever. It's a great movie. It has a very strong emphasis on friendship and getting older, which uh, is interesting because it kind of parallels, well, anybody's life and the concept of reuniting after several years and going back to your hometown and kind of being nostalgic. It really explores that in a Pretty incredible way while mixing in alien robots. <laughs> so it, the movie, it's just a lot of fun, though. And if you haven't been to see it, or, well, you probably haven't been because it came out today. But go see The World's End, especially if you liked uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I'm obviously biased because I love everything the guys have uh, done together. The three of them have done together. And um, actually, I was completely saw Shaun of the Dead on a whim. I forgot what movie I was going to see in... It was 2004, and while I was at the theater, I just remember seeing the poster in the lobby for Shaun of the Dead, and it's the poster that's on the cover of the DVD and, and the Blu-ray and everything, which is just Shaun in the middle, Liz on Shaun's left, or on the right side of the poster, and on the other side, Ed. Just seeing the three of them, and then surrounded by zombies, and the title Shaun of the Dead, and the tagline, A Romantic Comedy with Zombies, I just said, oh, that looks like fun, I'm in when that movie comes out. And I went to that, that same theater. I remember I saw it in the theater, the um, Mammoth Mall AMC. And then I went back to the same theater because they were playing it because it got a limited release. But that theater was a 15, is a 15-screen theater. So they tend to get a few more, I don't say limited release movies, but more than just the, the typical wide release big movies uh, that come out every Friday. So they were showing the movie. And I went with two friends and we laughed like it was the invention of comedy. We seriously had such an amazing time seeing this movie. And I was really heavily into British everything around 2004 anyway, the complete 
season, I'm sorry, the complete series set of um, Monty Python's Flying Circus came out and I was in all their movies. So I was kind of heavily into British comedy anyway, but just everything about the poster made me think, ooh, that movie's going to be fun. And this is prior to uh, YouTube really taking off. So it's not as if I could have gone online and seen a trailer or anything like that. Or, uh, I mean, maybe could have found some ill-gotten version of the movie because I believe it had come out in the UK as with uh, the (laughs) the other two movies that followed it. I'm pretty sure it came out in the UK before it came out in the US. But I knew nothing about it. I I didn't know who these people were who were starring in the movie. I knew Bill Nye because I'd seen him in a couple of movies. But I didn't know who Simon Pegg was or Nick Frost or anyone else. I'm sorry, Sean's mother I knew actually, Barbara. I knew her from uh, Calendar Girls, which I think came out the year before. Or maybe that same year, it was around the same time. So going in completely blind into this movie, it just—it was just such a knockout. And I thought this movie is is brilliant. And then the DVD came out in I think December. It was a pretty quick turnaround, but it got a limited release, so it's not like it made a huge killing at the box office. And then it came out on DVD six months later. I'm pretty sure it came out like the Tuesday before Christmas that year. So I got the DVD for Christmas and just went over it with a fine tooth comb, just watching the movie with commentary and checking out the behind the scenes stuff. And those guys are really, really thorough when it comes to packing their home media releases with special features. I think there's something like five audio commentaries on uh, hot fuzz. And uh, by the way, this is before I was even aware that they'd done a TV show called spaced. I didn't even find out about that until around 2007 when hot fuzz came out. And uh, at that point there weren't really, shows on you. I mean, not to the degree that there certainly are in 2013, where you couldn't find full episodes of shows on YouTube and Netflix, I don't think did streaming yet. Uh, now you can find Spaced, uh, both seasons of it on Netflix. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, Instant Video and all that other stuff. Like there are these platforms now where you can find these shows, but at the time you just, you couldn't find it anywhere. So there was a fan site that had it. So I did uh, have an ill-gotten uh, downloaded version of it because there was no release in the US. There was no way you could have seen it. It's not like uh, some British shows which get shown on PBS. It wasn't really that type of show, uh, even though it very well could be in the future. But uh, at that point, no, you couldn't find it. So I was able to find, I think, the first season or first series, to be accurate about it. Um, I found that, like I said, online and watched the first few episodes and thought, wow, this is really funny. And then fast forward to, I want to say 2009, and the complete series came on DVD, and I bought it, and I watched it over the course of a couple of days, along with all the features. And I was like, wow, this is great. These guys are so funny and all that. And uh, yeah, Hot Fuzz came out and I couldn't wait to go see that. I was saying, oh man, this is great. It's only been a little over two years and these guys did another movie. And then you had to wait another six years until they did another movie together. Unless you count 2011's Paul, which was still Simon Pegg and Dick Frost and had very much the same kind of feel of uh, these other movies to it because they wrote it together. They starred in it, even though it had a more expansive cast with, Bill Hader and Jason Bateman, uh, Sigourney Weaver. It's two years old. You must know that she popped up in the movie by now. And Kristen Wiig, of course. So that had the same kind of feel to it. But uh, Edgar Wright didn't direct the movie. He was directing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and couldn't do it. Or I don't know if he was involved at any point. Well, regardless. Uh, still didn't think I was going to have to wait six years to see another one. But I'm glad I did because the movie was great. And oh, actually, a little sidebar. I remember Hot Fuzz came out in... June or July? I think it was July it came on DVD in 2007. It was a good couple of months. And I went out to buy it, I think the afternoon or maybe the evening, but the day it came out on DVD and every store was sold out. 
I went to Target. I went to Best Buy. There weren't any Walmarts around the area where I was living, but I, I went to multiple Targets and Best Buys, and I was so livid because I was waiting for this movie for so long and uh, ended up getting it two days later. It had been on DVD a whole two days before I got it, but I was just so excited for it because I couldn't wait to watch it again. In the same way I kind of obsessively watched Shaun of the Dead when I got that DVD, I was really looking forward to watching Hot Fuzz repeatedly. And actually, it's kind of the same... Thinking back on it, especially watching Hot Fuzz in the theater, the excitement I had for that movie is kind of similar to the excitement I had for The Heat this past year, where I watched the movie. I said, okay, I didn't see Hot Fuzz in in theaters uh, three times, but I still um, wouldn't shut up about it. I was just so bent on, this is a great movie. Everybody should see this movie. Maybe it's a buddy cop movie thing. I have no idea. (laughs) But it it made me uh, think about that, where I was like, wow, when this movie came out, I was just as excited and just as uh, anxious for it as I was for the heat when I heard about it and then when I saw it and now I'm very much uh, waiting its home video release. So uh, can you use the term home video anymore? I guess. The movie's still on video of some sort, even if it's not a video cassette, right? Uh, anyway, uh, when I got the Hot Fuzz DVD finally, I was very upset to find out that apparently Walmart had a bonus disc with even more features. It was something like another hour of bonus features, and I was so pissed off. I was just like, I can't believe it. And I was going on eBay, and people were bidding crazy money to get this thing because it was incredibly limited. They were sold out online, and uh, you just couldn't get a hold of it. And I'm thinking, there's another hour of features. I'm so ah, I need to get my hands on this. And uh, never won a copy, but uh, eventually they put out a three-disc affair, the Hot Fuzz Ultimate Edition, and then fast forward to... 2009 when I got uh, the Hot Fuzz Blu-ray. One of the first Blu-rays I got when I was bent on getting every single one of my favorite movies, as long as I had Blu-ray releases at the time. I wanted to get them all on Blu-ray and uh, yeah, sure enough, one disc and all the features were on it that were on the three-disc version. So uh, there you go. I bought the same movie three times. I've done that with a bunch of movies, but uh, it's still those movies in high def were even better. And uh, had hey, I had more features to go through that I hadn't seen before. I think maybe it was everything from the three disc version. Maybe not. Uh, I don't exactly remember. I remember going over the three disc version quite a bit. But uh, anyway. It was fun kind of turning people onto those movies, though, since they didn't get huge releases and people maybe heard of them. I mean, by the title, Hot Fuzz, you you really don't have any idea what the movie's about. If you're just scrolling through, uh, if you were buying tickets online or something like that for a movie, if you're on Fandango, it's like, Hot Fuzz, what the hell? I mean, you could click on it and find out a description and see the poster, of course, but you wouldn't know from the title what is Shaun of the Dead. You kind of get the idea, well, it probably has to do with zombies and somebody named Shaun, and you would be right. But I watched Shaun of the Dead, not that I'm like, I was an early adopter, I'm claiming to be so ahead of the curve from uh, everybody else, because obviously space had existed a few years before Shaun of the Dead did, and certainly uh, people in the UK were aware of that. But I did show Shaun of the Dead to quite a few people who hadn't seen it before, and pretty much everyone liked it, I have to say. People really, and people do love that movie. Uh, Chances are you know someone who has seen or owns Shaun of the Dead, and uh, subsequently Hot Fuzz. Actually, the only person I can think of who hadn't seen either movie, but I did show both movies to for the first time, would be my friend Andrew, who you may know from The Only Podcast That Matters. And that was especially weird, because we watched, we got together one week, and watched Shaun of the Dead on a DVD, and in the week in between, I had bought Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz on Blu-ray, and I was the first one among my friends to get a Blu-ray player, so I'd actually brought my Blu-ray player to Andrew's uh, apartment because he had a nice TV. He has a 50 or 55-inch LG TV. It's a beautiful TV. 
And I thought, ooh, let's get the full effect of this <laughs> Blu-ray player. So I'm going to bring the player over and bring over Hot Fuzz on Blu-ray, and he'll be able to see it in high def for the first time. This will be really cool. And uh, now after Shaun of the Dead, he didn't say anything. He didn't say that was great, that was terrible. He didn't react at all during the movie. He wasn't grossed out. He wasn't shocked. Uh, at the end of the movie, he didn't say that was good or that sucked or I can't believe you like that movie or why does everybody like this movie? He didn't say a word. And with Hot Fuzz, he didn't say anything, same reaction, just didn't say anything, didn't laugh, didn't smile, said, actually, no, I'm wrong. He, at, the, at the beginning of Hot Fuzz in the first scene, which is kind of a quick montage, because we were watching it on a Blu-ray uh, as the scenes are kind of going through and it was, it's a very visual montage with a lot of cool camera stuff and, and slow motion and all sorts of other stuff going on. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, he just, I was sitting by him and he just said, so that's what Blu-ray looks like. And that was it. But he didn't say anything about, else about the movie. During the movie, didn't laugh, didn't smile, nothing. At the end of the movie, didn't say a word about it was all right. It was terrible. It was great. Oh man, I can't believe I didn't see this movie sooner. Nothing, just nothing at all, which was pretty strange. People tend to have a reaction one way or the other about uh, those movies, but eh, whatever. Anyway, uh, World's End was great, as I said. The panel was actually moderated by Bill Hader, who was in Paul with Simon and Nick. So that was pretty cool because they didn't say he was going to be hosting the panel. And uh, he was just asking them questions, talking about the way they work and the way they write and everything that kind of led up to Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. So it was very kind of all-inclusive uh, or all-encompassing, I guess you should say. Q&A. And they did about 30 minutes and they said, stick around after the movie. It is going to be late, obviously, and you folks have been here for a few hours, but uh, we'll come back after the movie and we'll talk about this movie. So we actually ended up getting two Q&As. And uh, the second time they came out after The World's End was over, it was about 30 minutes as well. So it really cool of them to stick around and then take some more questions. And they were actually taking questions from the audience too, I should say, uh, aside from Bill Hader just asking them about their process and what went into uh, this and that they were taking questions. And this was actually being simulcast to the different Arclight cinemas theaters around Southern California. So that was pretty cool, but it was great to be in the room while it was going on. Uh, I mean, it had that sold out before I had gotten tickets to it. I certainly would have gone to one of the other marathons where they were simulcasting the Q and a, but Hey, I'm glad I was there. It was a blast. And uh, you know what? I'm, a fan for life with them. I mean, I was anyway before this movie, but I'm on board for anything they do forever. <laughs> That's it. And I hope they do more movies together. They certainly expect that they will, even though they consider this to be a essentially a trilogy in as much as the three of them worked together on these movies and the same two principal actors in each movie and the same director. I'm sure they're going to work together even more. And uh, fingers crossed. Let's hope the world's end does well and the people connect with it and more people get turned on to... Some really, really brilliant comedy. So, after that incredible day, uh, incredible night, I should say, it started at 5, and I, I finally left the theater. By the time I got to the parking garage and paid uh, my ticket on the way out, with the credit card, mind you, I uh, went to my car. About 1 a.m. was the time that was stamped on my ticket for the parking garage. And I, of course, go up the elevator, go to my car, stick the key in, the car doesn't start. And I'm trying to, I'm kind of like, jiggling the key a little bit and it's not working so i pull the key out figuring well, let me pull it out and put it back in start and i know that sounds like something else but let me remove the key and reinsert the key in the ignition and try again and i pull the key out and uh yeah about the uh half of the key had broken off in the ignition that's what happened uh, at some point it got caught and i just pulled and it just completely it i didn't feel a snap i didn't feel anything i literally pulled the key out of the ignition i was like what the hell 
<laughs> Needless to say, I spent the next hour or so <laughs> trying to, I, I honestly lost track of time, but I spent quite a while inserting the key and trying to get it to connect enough to start the car, figuring, all right, just get me home and I will deal with this tomorrow. But it's one in the morning. I already paid my ticket for uh, parking. Let me just go home. And then I, I didn't have to work the next day. So I thought, let me just take care of it tomorrow. Please just get me home. Didn't happen. Uh, decided to call my insurance. And this is the lesson in this episode, kids. There normally isn't a lesson. Or maybe you do uh, glean something from my experience. But let me tell you, double check when it comes to what is and isn't covered in situations like this for uh, your car insurance. Because now if you have AAA, you probably don't need to worry about it. But I called my insurance company because I thought, well, I have road hazard coverage through them. I'm sure they can send a locksmith out because that's ultimately what I needed. Being towed wouldn't have fixed the problem. If if a locksmith could retrieve that part of the key, that's fine. Let's do that because my sister has a spare car key anyway. So I thought, well, I can get the key from her, but let me see if I get a locksmith out here before I call her because at this point it's two in the morning and I thought, I don't want to wake her up. She does have work in the morning. So let me see if I can get this worked out. No, I don't have road hazard coverage, or I didn't at the time. I only had uh, rental car reimbursement. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it because it's honestly one of those things I thought, I know I have this on my policy, but I didn't. The only extra, aside from the actual coverage itself, the uh, extended coverage, let's say, included just rental car, didn't include road hazard, and they couldn't, or roadside assistance, I should say, uh, and they didn't, they weren't able to actually put it onto my account and then dispatch somebody uh for whatever reason they just couldn't make it happen and i was just oh man i was at that point i didn't know what to do so fortunately i was able to call my sister who did have triple a and uh, they got someone out there and she came with the spare key because i figured all right if a locksmith can come out dig out my key then at least i have a key i can use to get home and then i'll just go make another copy so she can keep another spare totally cool so unfortunately had to call her woke her up i'm I'm abbreviating the story quite a bit because you you don't need to hear all this but she came out, uh, AAA showed up an hour later, and it took quite a while. The key was in there pretty good. It basically gotten caught in uh, the whatever mechanism it is that makes your car beep at you to remind you that the key is in the ignition. So wherever that, I guess, uh, where the key connects to that, that's actually where it popped off. Don't know how, something completely random. As far as, far as I know, it's something that uh, was pretty unpreventable. So, uh, and the woman who actually uh, I spoke to when I called my insurance company, she'd had the same thing happen to her, which is funny because I'd never heard of this happening to anybody ever, but she'd actually had the same thing happen to her. And that's why she was really trying to help me. She said, Oh, I, I know this, this situation's horrible. Let me see what I can do. Unfortunately, she couldn't do anything, but anyway, <laughs> thankfully I had the spare key. My sister had AAA, a hundred bucks and, uh, an hour and a half later, I was finally home. By the time I did get home, it was after 5 a.m. And I have to say, I've had better nights out until 5 a.m. But I'm happy I was able to get home. I'm happy that there was obviously no major repair that needed to be done with the car. It's just cost a little bit for the locksmith to come out. But uh, there you go. Double check. Unless you have AAA and you don't need to worry about any kind of roadside assistance, double check your insurance in case something like this happens. Because having your keys break off in the ignition is one of those random things that I've never heard of and I never would have thought could happen until it happened to me. So if you don't have some sort of roadside assistance outside of your car insurance, then double check to see if you have it on your insurance because it could happen to you. You too can be stuck in a Hollywood parking garage at one in the morning and uh, be stuck there for about four hours 
if your key breaks off. So there's the lesson that can be taken from this. Okay, now let's get over to the bigger news that came out of Thursday, August 22nd, 2013, which would be the announcement of Ben Affleck as the new Batman and the Man of Steel sequel, which will include Batman. I mean, it's it's right now the tentative title from what I've seen. It's just been called Man of Steel 2, Superman versus Batman. We'll see if that'll change. I would think so, because that that's a really loaded title. Uh, I wonder what they're going to do with that. But uh, obviously, this would include any further uh, Justice League adventures where Superman and Batman work together. I'm sure they'll end up working together by the end of this movie. But uh, this is certainly a big commitment that now Ben Affleck's going to be a part of. This is a really, really big deal. And uh, actually, in between Hot Fuzz and the beginning of the Q&A prior to World's End... Some jackass, of course, yelled out from the audience, Ben Affleck's Batman! And a bunch of people, I mean a bunch of people in the audience booed. And I was kind of surprised just because, I mean, I hadn't really absorbed it. And frankly, I wasn't thinking about it at all when I was stuck in the garage waiting for a locksmith to show up. But uh, And and also, that that's part of the reason I thought, you know what, let me do a little bit of poking around. I mean, I knew what the reaction was going to be more or less when it came to this news. But I thought, let me do some poking around online and kind of see what the general vibe is because you don't know how it's going to go. Of course there was going to be resistance, but as I said in uh, and about two episodes ago, there was going to be resistance no matter what. There was going to be backlash. People were going to be whining and bitching no matter who was cast as the next Batman, short of Christian Bale. That's the only person they probably would have embraced. And despite ridiculous rumors about him being offered $50 million and all that, obviously that wasn't true. And uh, we know how, we know who, Batman is going to be. Honestly, I'm happy about it. I have to say, I do think it's a really good choice. I mean, frankly, he's Ben Affleck's the golden boy right now with uh, having done The Town and then Argo, which, yes, he did as a director, but he also obviously was the lead actor in both movies, so you can't take that away from him. And uh, by the way, one of them was Best Picture last year, which I'm sure everyone's aware of. So he's kind of the golden boy in that he's directed and starred in these huge movies, which were for Warner Brothers and the DC Universe uh, is theatrically run by uh, Warner Brothers, or they have the rights to it, I should say. So it would kind of make sense for them to offer it to him. Now, the funny thing about that is the fact that people online or any anyone who's complaining about it, they're all bringing up like, what, Gigli's going to be Batman or Daredevil is going to be Batman? Everybody's going back to movies from 10 years ago. Nobody's looking at what the guy has done recently, which when it comes to his acting, aside from the fact he directed those two movies, when it comes to his acting, he is a great actor. And I mean, it's obviously shown how much he's progressed from say Armageddon if I'm gonna if we're gonna call back to old movies uh let's look back at that but he was great in Chasing Amy and in Dogma so he certainly did have some acting chops it's not as if the movies he had been in before were necessarily uh could show his his full range but whatever that's the case of any actor not everybody knocks out of the park every single time everybody thought Johnny Depp couldn't fail and then the Lone Ranger came out and it seems to be universally hated so, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's honestly, everybody spends some time in movie jail, whether you're a director or an actor or whatever. If I forgot who said it, or maybe the first person I heard say it, but uh, if you're not in some kind of box office failure, if you're not in a flop, then you're not working. Something to that degree. And that makes total sense. Fortunately, after all the Benefer stuff was going on in 2003 or four and kind of that era, which we all remember when Ben Affleck was with Jennifer Lopez, when all that was going on, there was kind of such a negative 
backlash to it that, yeah, Ben Affleck did kind of have to lay low for a little while and uh, certainly wasn't really doing anything high profile. But then he directs Gone Baby Gone, which I haven't seen, but was obviously uh, well-received. And then The Town comes out and is this big hit, surprising hit, I would say probably uh, more of a sleeper hit. And everybody I know loves the movie. I did like the movie, but I think I may have been expecting more from it based on everybody's hype. And the fact that it, spoiler, but the movie's from a couple of years ago, but the fact that it kind of had a happy ending, I thought, well, that's not, I don't 100% buy that. But uh, And Argo was obviously a really, really good movie. Uh, I, it's one of those where I know the ending, so it didn't completely, same way watching something like Lincoln, it's, well, I know how it ends, so I'm not going to totally be taken by surprise. It was still incredibly well done, and there's no doubt the guy's a great director, but as an actor, yeah, he is really good. He's totally capable of doing it. And as far as my criteria for Batman, while everybody has theirs, he's in his 40s. He just turned 41 or is about to turn 41, right on the cusp of being <laughs> at least a year into his 40s. And I think he's 6'2", something like that, so he's physically imposing. But he can also act. And unfortunately, everybody jumps back to the fact that he was Daredevil in, in the past and all that. And it's like, look, Daredevil was only going to be what it was going to be. And at that time, comic book movies weren't near where they've been in the last five years. I'm going to say since Iron Man, just because that, that kickstarted the whole Marvel universe thing, which has then changed comic book movies in a big way, not just because of everything that led up to the Avengers and obviously the huge success of Iron Man three, but just in general, we're a long way away from ghost rider and daredevil and Ang Lee's Hulk movie. <laughs> And uh, things like that. So the movie itself is going to be different. And Zack Snyder is certainly capable. Now, I didn't see Man of Steel just because I had no interest. I'm going to have to see it now. I'm sure I'll end up renting it or something or watching it with a friend because I'm going to want to know what's going on heading into this new uh, Batman Superman movie and what will become Justice League. But I I just didn't have enough interest in it. As I said before, I'm not into Superman. I will see the movie now just to kind of understand what's happening in the new movie before it happens. And uh, as far as the Daredevil thing, I actually just saw Daredevil. I rented it a couple of weeks ago because I've kind of been on a superhero kick lately, just overall. I mean, I watched a few of the uh, DC animated movies. They're actually streaming on Amazon. And since I have Amazon Prime, which everybody should have, not just because of the expedited shipping, but you get to stream movies and TV shows, and they're different from the selection that is on Netflix, even though there's some crossover. Like the DC animated movies, I don't believe are streaming on Netflix, but they are on Amazon. So I was able to catch up with some of those and watch the Green Lantern movies, uh, which I bo- I really liked. I especially like the first one. The Wonder Woman animated movie was great. And uh, I also thought, oh, you know what, maybe I should go see some of or start watching some of these uh, superhero movies. So prior to even hearing that Ben Affleck was going to be Batman, I had said, maybe I should see Daredevil and Elektra knowing that people aren't particularly fans of those movies. But I was kind of in the mood, like I said, very superhero heavy recently. Oh, and also watched uh, Batman Under the Red Hood again, which is such a great movie. That's my favorite DC animated movie of all. If you haven't seen that, I actually believe that is on Netflix right now. And since everybody seems to have Netflix, check it out or rent it if you have that uh, if you have the capacity to rent a movie. Batman Under the Red Hood is such an incredibly well-done animated movie and fully earns its PG-13 rating, I have to say. Now, regarding Daredevil, let me just break down a tad. If anybody's interested in Daredevil review 10 years later, here it is. The most obvious issue has to be the fact that the movie felt very, very rushed. And I know a lot of people had this complaint, but it, it did. And the movie just kind of flies by. It ends up being, without the credits, it ends up being 90-something minutes. 
So everything does move at a very quick pace. There's a few minutes spent on the origin story up front, and then you see Matt Murdock as himself, and then you see him as Daredevil, and it just could have been fleshed out a lot more. And now I'm completely aware that there is an R-rated cut of the movie that exists uh, that came out on DVD and subsequently Blu-ray. I do want to see that cut because it does have another 30 minutes edited into the movie, which ends up being a little over two hours, between two hours and two hours and 10 minutes or so. That's a lot of movie. You're talking about adding another third of the movie that is already there back in. There's a big difference between a movie that's an hour and 40 minutes and a movie that's two hours and 10 minutes and not just the time. You can get a lot done. I did think it was weird that, I mean, I always thought it was strange that Colin Farrell was going to be the villain, but you don't even see him. You're not even introduced to him until halfway into the movie. And he's only in a handful of scenes. At least, again, this is a PG-13 cut. And I think that was a, I think it was pretty much miscast. I don't know if anybody would say, oh, there was somebody better. Maybe uh, someone would have a better suggestion or if they re- they're probably going to reboot Daredevil now that the rights are back to Marvel. So it'd be interesting to see who they decided, who they would cast for Bullseye if they brought him back. Which, that's something I always laugh at, because with all this talk, obviously, with the, uh, even before this Batman announcement was made, just talking about what will happen with Superman from here on out, it's hilarious that people bring up the same two guys, at least what I've heard, or what I've seen, regarding uh, who should play Lex Luthor in the future Superman movies, and the two names I've heard repeatedly were Brian Cranston and Mark Strong. Uh, obviously, I think the Mark Strong one is easy because he's bald already. And Brian Cranston, you've seen already with a shaved head in Breaking Bad. Now, obviously, they're, they can both act. They absolutely can do it. And I think, I mean, aside from the fact that uh, Mark Strong was actually in the Green Lantern live-action movie, which I will be checking out just because I've been superhero-heavy lately, and uh, it's certainly worth a dollar rental to me. I'm not expecting much from it, but regardless, I'm still going to give it a shot. But um, I do think it's funny that everybody just jumps to actors who you've essentially seen bald because Lex Luthor is bald. Here's a newsflash. If you shave any guy's head, he will look more like Lex Luthor. So um, they could have The Rock play Lex Luthor, and people probably think that would be a good one too because he's you've already seen him bald or Bruce Willis. I mean, they could take somebody. They can take Johnny Depp and make him Lex Luthor. They just have to shave his head. Or any other actor. All you need to do is shave their head and immediately people are going to say, oh, hey, that'd be a good person for Lex Luthor. So I, I do find it funny that two guys who you've already seen with shaved heads are, seem to be the big ones that everyone's suggesting because uh, the character's bald. But anyway, uh, back to Daredevil. Uh, the, the sex scene seemed a little bizarre in that it just kind of brought in this, this romantic element that seemed very forced. Maybe because the movie was rushed, it was kind of like, eh... Uh, okay. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just didn't understand what the, what the relevance was. It's like Electra falls for him all of a sudden. And, uh, they just, they spend the night together and then that's kind of it. The relationship is sealed until, well, I don't want to go in the movie in deep. No, I'm not spoiling anything. Who am I kidding? Until she thinks, uh, Daredevil's responsible when she finds out <laughs> that Matt Murdock is Daredevil and she suspects he's responsible for the death of her father then everything becomes so shocking after one night together? Eh, I don't know, but it's probably fleshed out more in the R-rated cut. At least uh, I assume it might be. And uh, I have to say, the this Daredevil movie did suffer from 
the same issue that a lot of movies from that era suffered from, which was the awful soundtrack. Several movies, especially if they were action or horror movies, circa 2002, 2003, 2004, all had this awful soundtrack with these awful bands with, uh, the, I mean, not necessarily the kind of chugga-chugga-chugga guitars, but just the, the all these bands who, that sounded the same. And I remember watching Freddy vs. Jason last summer and thinking, wow, the music in this movie sucks. The movie's a lot of fun, but man, the music is terrible. And Daredevil is the same thing. It's, I thought it was especially cheesy, the fact that they used the Evanescence song. Um, I don't remember the name of it. The first big one, the one that was everywhere, Wake Me Up or Wake Me Up Inside or whatever it's called, during Electra's big kind of warm-up scene. I thought, well, of course they need a female-fronted song to be playing when a female character is getting ready to go out and kick some ass. But the, the music is just terrible. And that might be the thing that actually dates the movie, more so than any of the effects. I think the music kind of puts it in that early 21st century period where you look at it and think, oh, man, this is, this is terrible. I'd almost maybe put it in the same grouping as uh, Spider-Man, because Spider-Man came out the year before and had the, uh, that Chad Kroger song, Hero, which was... Uh, yikes Uh, if I never hear that song again in my lifetime I'll be very very happy because that was just so overplayed and it's such a I'm I'm not a total like using the word hater I'm not totally against Nickelback but I've had enough of Nickelback for quite a while and I bought the first four albums or so and uh, they just I just got tired of them really quickly because of the (laughs) because of beating the same formula to death on every song and the same sound and uh, don't get me started Anyway, I do think I would dig the special features. That's one thing that the the DVD got um, a lot of credit for was how thorough the special features are on it. And frankly, I would like to watch them just because I'm I'm a special features slut anyway. I just love them. I mean, I bought as much as I liked Prometheus when I saw it in the theater. I still had big problems with it after the fact, but I even bought the 3D Blu-ray combo pack of Prometheus because I saw overall it had nine hours of special features. Now, am I going to sit and watch nine hours of features for a movie that I'm not entirely crazy about? Probably not, but I still had to buy that version just because I was like, oh man, look at all the special features. So I don't know. And Neil's say, I haven't watched Prometheus. bought that. I guess it came out about a year ago. So I've had that Blu-ray for about a year. I have yet to even pop it in, but I do enjoy <laughs> seeing special features and with Daredevil being fresh and uh, with the, with seeing the R-rated cut, I'm sure I'll dig what went into making that movie. So don't go judging Ben Affleck as Batman based on Daredevil or uh, any of the other stuff he's done, unless you're going to judge it by his performance in the town and in Argo, because even though he directed them, he still acted like crazy in those movies. He was really, really strong as an actor. So, uh, and of course all the internet stuff about, Oh, Matt Damon's going to be Robin. Well, no, probably not. But that's what everybody jumps to. I mean, hey, whatever. It, obviously, everyone's having a bit of fun, but I'm surprised at just the negativity that's going on because had they gotten anybody else who was supposedly in the running, I'd heard Josh Brolin for a while uh, that he was a contender. But I'm sure they've known for months that it was Ben Affleck. I'm sure they had it bef- had him uh, on board before they even announced this movie at Comic-Con last month. So there was going to be black- backlash no matter what, as I already said in uh, the previous episode or two episodes back. I trust that Warner Brothers knows what they're doing. I'm sure Ben knew the fan wrath he would have to endure <laughs> when the announcement was made. You know what? It's been said many times by me and by others far more intelligent than me. But if you listen to people on the internet, 
we never would have seen Heath Ledger as the Joker, and we never would have seen Wolver. Okay, well, the internet wasn't the same circa '99 as it is in 2013, but Hugh Jackman wouldn't have been Wolverine. Daniel Craig wouldn't have been James Bond. <laughs> those, all those worked out pretty well. So we'll see what happens in the end. If the movie's great, all will be forgiven, and Ben Affleck will be embraced as Batman. But I'm very curious, and I'm looking forward to the movie. And we'll sit through Man of Steel <laughs> because of it. Now, switching gears to music. On Tuesday, August 20th, a couple of days ago, and uh, this announcement ended up benefiting this episode of the podcast as well, but Ginger Wildheart's third pledge campaign kicked off. The new album is called Practical Musician and is being recorded somewhere in England right now. So go to pledgemusic.com and look for Ginger Wildheart's new project and purchase one of the many packages that will go to funding this album. I, of course, will be doing it. It just kicked off, so I haven't gotten in on it yet, but I will be very, very soon. But I love the albums that he's done so far, and I love everything Ginger Wildheart has done on his own and with the Wildhearts. So I fully support it. That's definitely my recommendation for this week. Oh, actually, even better than that. Go to gingerwildheart.bandcamp.com and you can buy all of Ginger Wildheart's solo albums digitally. And if you want a little sampling of some of his solo output, he actually has a free compilation on there, which has, I think, 12 songs, 10 songs, all previously released material, but you can download that for free and then go back to... Bandcamp and buy the other albums digitally. They're all five pounds. Uh, at least the single albums are. Ends up being about eight bucks if you live stateside, uh, except for the triple album, which I believe is 10 pounds, so about 16 bucks. Hey, check out Ginger Wildheart stuff and go to Pledge Music and support his new project. It reached 100% in, I think, six hours, something like that. It, of course, uh, reached its goal very, very quickly. And apparently, the 100% goal was much larger this time than it had been for the previous pledge projects. So this is a big deal, and we'll see where it ends up. It's probably going to end up over 500% again, just like his last two were. But check out Ginger Wildheart over at pledgemusic.com. And uh, actually, one more thing, just while I'm on the pledge and, uh, let's say, fan-funded topic. Adam Carolla recently launched a campaign at fundanything.com for his next independent movie, which he's calling Road Hard, R-O-A-D, Hard, where he plays a stand-up comedian who has to go back on the road after years of being away from it because his career didn't pan out the way he planned it to. But uh, anyway, there's this sentiment, and I talked about it on the big show with the boys back in uh, June when we talked about the internet backlash, what a surprise, that Zach Braff got when he launched his film campaign on Kickstarter where people are saying, oh, they have their own money. Why do I have to donate to somebody's project? Look, you don't need to donate to Adam Carolla's film. Why shouldn't Adam Carolla or Zach Braff have to fund their own movie? Because, and as we said on the only podcast that matters, anybody who starts a business may invest some of their own money, but it's not done entirely with their own money. Even if you're rich, you don't stay rich by investing a large sum of money into a project that could potentially fail. People start businesses by getting loans from banks or through various other means of using capital that is not their personal capital. 
And in the case of these fan-funded projects, they're not being funded by donations. You are essentially pre-ordering, kind of like the, the Pledge Music concept or model. You are basically pre-ordering and paying in advance for the finished product. Sometimes, with both of these uh, film projects, Zach Braff's, which is closed already, but Adam Carolla's, which is still going on, you can go to a, a premiere party in one of a series of cities. You can buy a small part in the film. You can pre-order a DVD or Blu-ray of the movie itself, which also allows you access to the script, and you get a T-shirt and all sorts of other stuff. So you're not just straight up donating 20 or 50 or 100 bucks to get this movie made. You are getting something for your money, but your money is going directly to fund the project. But there's this just this ridiculous bias when people talk about these things and, oh, why shouldn't they put their own money? Why should I have to donate to this? Why don't they donate money to charity instead of doing blah, blah, blah? Look, fans want to be involved. People want to know what they can do. There are actually a lot of podcasts out there which do have donation buttons where you can donate to the show through PayPal because... Fans want to contribute in some way. And some people feel when you do a free podcast, you do deserve something in return, whether it's monetarily or whatever. Uh, Some people do want to contribute. And it's something that's come up a lot of times with the only podcast that matters, actually. We have talked about it and saying... Do we put up a donate button? Do we Are we supposed to look at this as being a charity? What do we do? But there are people who just genuinely want to support something they believe in and people who believe in compensating those who provide something for them, whether it's – if even in the case of a free podcast, people might say, hey, that's worth five bucks a month. And if you listen to the only podcast that matters – New episode every Friday at theonlypodcast.com, also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and Beyond Pod on your mobile device. People may say, yeah, you know what? That's worth five bucks a month. It's worth about a dollar an episode, a dollar and a quarter, or if there's five Fridays, that, yeah, it's worth a dollar a week. And someone may want to donate $5 a month. We don't have that set up right now, and it's something we've talked about before, and uh, it may very well happen because there are people who feel inclined to support projects that are done on a smaller scale. And it's no different with something like what Adam Kroll is trying to do with this movie. And this criticism just seems, it's obviously comes from people who don't understand the point or people who probably just aren't fans in the first place. Because as I've said in other shows before, we sometimes forget as fans how important of a role we play in that if you buy a ticket to a movie, you are supporting a movie, even if it's something you didn't pay to finance or if you're going to see... The world's end. You're still contributing toward the success of the movie. If you go with friends, if you get a group together, you are still playing a role in that movie's performance, and that will in turn dictate if Universal or one of their uh, subsidiary studios, one of their smaller studios, makes deals with Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Edgar Wright to do more movies, or whether or not the three men will have a future in uh as far as releasing movies in the States. So there is a role that you're playing, whether it's buying someone's new single on iTunes or subscribing to a podcast or contributing to a fan-funded project. That is something that's important. And it's so weird that there's just this expectation, there's this entitlement where you shouldn't have to do anything. And unfortunately, that's where the piracy mentality comes in, where people believe they should just be entitled to everything and shouldn't have to pay for anything. But I still agree that it's worth it to... Go to the movies. The movie costs $200 million to make. It costs you 12 bucks or more if you go see it in 3D or IMAX. It costs you 12 bucks to see something. It costs $100 million to go see. It's still a bargain. Same thing when it comes to CDs. I will still buy CDs when they come out. And yes, I talk about these things all the time, but it's important to me. 
These are things that are honestly important, and I feel like this is a discussion that should continue. If you buy a CD the week it comes out, you are helping the artist because you are impacting the success of the album. Many albums don't have a long lifespan beyond the first couple months of release, unless you have a Dark Side of the Moon or Soundtrack to the Bodyguard or something like that on your hands where it has just a really, really long life on the charts. The biggest impact an album's going to make is in the first week of release and just beyond that. And same thing with a movie. It's going to do the best especially these days, on its opening weekend because there is so much competition. So all this stuff plays a role. I think it's just as important when people do these fan-funded projects because they are giving you something in return for your money. The money goes straight into the project and allows cast to be paid or musicians to be paid, whether it's a movie or an album, pays for studio time, pays for filming time, all the stuff that goes into it. So I think it's a great model. I think it's important. Can I do it for every single person? At this point, probably not, but I have contributed to a few fan-funded projects beyond just the the Ginger Wildheart ones, and I certainly will be contributing to Adam Carolla's film as well. So if you're thinking about criticizing it and saying, why don't they use their own money, knock it off. Because if you want to go open up a restaurant, chances are you wouldn't sink all your own money into it. You would probably go and apply for a loan at a bank. Or you may get a loan from a family member or something, but you probably wouldn't invest your own money. You would find another way to do it. And in this case, the pledgers or fans are getting something in exchange for their money. They're getting a peek behind the scenes. They're getting an exclusive t-shirt. They're pre-ordering a DVD or a CD, whatever it may be. So it's not just taking donations. Stop calling it that. It's getting people involved on a smaller scale, and it's allowing people to make the kind of art they want to make. That's about it. <laughs> Rant over. <laughs> so that brings us to the only in Los Angeles moment. And this is a quick one. And as far as I can tell, it's only in Los Angeles because I only expect it in Los Angeles. But uh, maybe New Yorkers will have this. Maybe in Miami they have this. I don't know. Or Chicago. Maybe big cities have this. But we'll see. I've only ever seen it here. Uh, it actually has to do with the night I was not locked out of my car, but unable to use my car. My car was just a giant door stopper in a parking garage. I went up the street to Walgreens because it was hot out and it's been, well, it's summertime. It goes without saying, but uh, I just needed a drink. So I ran to a Walgreens, which was up the street, actually on the corner of Sunset and Vine. Because I thought, oh, let me just get something. I've been stuck out here for a while. It's hot. I couldn't sit in my car because it was hot in the car. I couldn't exactly run the air conditioner or something. So I was just stuck outside, needed a beverage. Walked into this Walgreens, which I remember being a Borders, actually, when I initially lived out here. And this Walgreens has, aside from having a huge makeup section, and every Walgreens does, any drugstore kind of has a makeup section, this one had a huge makeup section, had a prepared foods area, which also had a sushi section on the side of it. And the person who was making sandwiches and coffee and all this, kind of a little Starbucks-style coffee place as well, in there, all set up along this one wall. And I thought, wow, it has to be, I mean, yes, because of prime location, but it's still a Walgreens. I have to look at that as something that would only be in Los Angeles because if you pop in because you need to get a prescription filled or maybe you just want to grab a soda, then you see, oh, look, they have sushi. Maybe I'll grab some Walgreens sushi. And uh, yeah, that'll do it. Or maybe you just want to get a pack of dentine. And then you see, ooh, you know what? I'm actually kind of hungry. Maybe I will just grab a sandwich while I'm here, or I'll get a, a latte. 
never see that anywhere else. So I'm going to chalk that up as being only in Los Angeles. If you see similar things or other retail chains, which have a specialized or a very eccentric layout like the Walgreens on Sunset and Vine, please say so. Comment on the show or let me know. Don't forget that you can follow the show on Twitter and tweet the show at Cape Pod. Like the show on Facebook. Look for Chris Abalo's podcast experiment. You can always visit the home at chrisabalo.com where I post blogs on a fairly regular basis. Usually I post on opposite weeks when I post the show. So usually every week there'll be some update on the show, but I will get better and I will post things more frequently on there. For right now, it has been summer, coming at least a little bit of a break. And uh, you can email the show as well at capethepodcast at gmail.com. Cape, of course, being the initials of the show. So that's it. Thank you very much for listening to this somewhat belated episode of the show. Until next time, I am Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment. <laughs>